Good morning, Edinburgh. It's good to be here with you. I've uh, been saying every week, it's just so good being with my church family. And so, and that includes those of you who are watching online. We're glad that you are tuned in. If you're a guest, I, I want to I wanna give you just a warm welcome. We're so glad uh, that, that you're here. Um, but as many of you know, we're, we're in a series right now uh, called Rebuild. And we've been working through uh, the, the, the book of Nehemiah. And we've seen up to this point that the people of Nehemiah, the, the, the people of Judah, they've been able to rebuild the city walls, sort of the first line of defense. They've been able to secure the city so that they can start rebuilding the city. Uh, and, and God was good. But last week, we, we saw that they longed for something more. They longed for spiritual renewal. And this week, we're going to see that as things sort of settle down, they're going to realize that they need God's help. They need God's help. Uh, they're going to realize that they are still oppressed. Even though the city walls have been rebuilt and they're beginning to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, they're still under oppression. In fact, I want to give you the context for chapter 9 uh, right off the bat here. We're going to see that the, the spiritual leaders are going to pray this, this prayer. And I want you to understand what the context and the purpose of this prayer is. So in verse 32, we read this. And this is the spiritual leaders, the Levites, praying this prayer. They say, now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. You might want to underline that. We are in great distress. They were stressed out. They were anxious because of the oppression they were dealing with, probably mostly from the Persian Empire and, 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 and this high taxation that they were requiring of the people of Jerusalem. They found themselves in great distress. Just wonder if there's anyone in here this morning who's saying, I, I could use a little help. Anybody? <laughs> I could use a little help. I, I remember a, a couple of years ago, uh, we bought our kids um, uh, a hoverboard. And if you're familiar with those hoverboards, those things you stand on and you lean and they go. Uh, but before they tested out, my kids were excited to use it, but, but my wife Danielle, she's like, well, I just need to make sure this, this thing is safe. I want to try it out first. So we, we took it out down into the basement. And if you know anything about hoverboards, they're easier to get on than they are off. And so she started at one end of, of the basement, I remember, and she got up on it using the wall to brace herself, but then she couldn't get off. Every time she leaned, you know, it, it, it would go that direction. And so she tried to lean forward and get off, but as she did that, this thing started going. And I'm standing there drinking my coffee. When she comes zipping by me, Saying I could use a little help, help, help me, but I couldn't do anything. I had my coffee. And so she goes zipping by, 
and crashes into some boxes on the other end of the basement, which, by the way, we learned is one way to get off of a hoverboard. Um, but I've never forgotten that. I just, I, I, I help. I, I could use a little help. I wonder if any of us are feeling that way this morning. And there's some situation, something going on in your life, and you're saying, help, I, I, I could use a little help. And that's the people of Judah this morning. Crying out, asking God for help in their distress. And so what we're going to see this morning is that the, the, the Levites, the spiritual leaders, they pray this prayer, asking God for his help in their distress. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to remember their God. That's what they're going to do. They're going to just remember their God. And they're going to remember primarily three key truths about who God is. And that's what I want us to discuss this morning. These three key truths we're going to see in this prayer that I believe can give us hope and peace no matter what it is you need help with today. So let's just jump on in. Here's the first thing we're going to see um, that we need to remember when it comes to our God. We need to remember that God is a great God. He's a great God, okay? Verse 1, Nehemiah 9, says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. Quarter of the day. I don't know. Is this like another six hours? I said our services can go a lot longer if you guys want. I, uh, we're trying to get us out, you know, on time here, but quarter of the day spent just reading God's word. They spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God and standing on the stairs of, of, of the Levites and then gives this list of men. It says they cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And again, the Levites, with this list of these Levites, they said, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then here's the prayer. Starts by saying, blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You see where, where, where the spiritual leaders start. They start by remembering the greatness of, of God, which is especially important to us when we have a need in our life, when we need help and we're in distress, when we're anxious in life, we need to step back and remember God is truly a great God. How many of us, when we have some kind of problem or some kind of need in our life, our first reaction is, what am I going to do about it? I don't know about you, but that's my story. <laughs> if there's a problem, if there's something I need to work on, it's like, okay, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to tackle this, this problem. But friends, when we remember that God is great, that should cause us to step back and realize that we have a great God we can go to and ask for his help. Uh, my, my daughter Callie, she's four years old. She's at that, that stage, right, where she wants to do everything on her own. And so recently we were at the grocery store and, uh, you know, she's, uh, she wanted to open the door. It's like, Daddy, I'm going to open the door. And so she goes to the door, and she starts 
pushing on the door and it won't, it won't budge. Then she starts trying to pull and, and the, the door, it, it, won't, it won't budge. So now she's pushing, she's pulling, she's trying to get this door open and it's clearly a locked door. But what she didn't realize is there was a second door. And so dad just goes up, you know, opens the second door. Callie, why don't we just go on in? And of course, Callie's like, <clears throat> I knew that, you know, and, 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 and tries to, you know, pridefully walk, walk through the door. But I, I, it got me thinking, how often is that our story? I, I want to do it on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. And so we're sitting there, and we're pushing, we're pulling on doors, and they're not budging because we didn't think to go to the one who is great and ask for his help. You know, I, if, if you're a person who struggles with anxiety, as I am, and I've come to the conclusion I'm going to struggle with anxiety. It's something that runs in my family. Uh, I'm going to struggle with it until the day I die. I, I've, just, I've come to terms with that. However, there are some truths about God that do help me to find peace in the midst of my anxiety. And one of the scriptures that I have memorized and that I have learned and would encourage you to do as well, especially if you struggle with anxiety, is Psalm 4610. I just love Psalm 4610. It says this. It says, be still. And know that I am God. Be still. Just still yourself. All your working, all your contriving, all your... It says, be still and know. I am God. I am a great God. I am a God who can help you with whatever that problem is. First come to me. Still your heart. Find rest. Find peace. And see what I might do. What door I might open for you. You know, I've told this story many times over the years. But just like the Levites are going to be reminding the people of Judah about the story of Israel, sometimes there's just stories that we need to remind ourselves around here, especially as a church. And one of the stories that I will never forget that happened right here at Edinburgh was a couple years back. Uh, many of you will remember this. Our fire suppression system went out on us. It's the sprinkler system that runs throughout the building in case there's ever a fire. You know, it's the sprinkler system that comes on to put out that fire. And the inspectors came and said, you've got to replace your fire suppression system. So we started getting bids. And they came to us and they said, it's going to cost you $200,000. And for our church, friends, that was an impossible situation. That was an impossible situation. $200,000 on top of our budget. Where are we going to get that money? How are we going to raise that money? Are we going to have to cut ministries? Are we going to, who knows what we're going to have to do to pay for a fire suppression system, which, by the way, you hope you never even have to use, but is required for us to keep our doors open. And I remember very wisely in our board meeting, after we heard the bids, we stopped and we paused and we just prayed and remembered that our God is a great God and we went to him and just said, God, we, we need your help. We need your guidance. We, we need you to provide a way. Well, friends, I'm, I'm not exaggerating this. If, if you remember at the time we had a daycare that met here, they were on their way out. They already had their exit plan. There was a date they were supposed to be out of the building. A couple days after that board meeting, after we prayed, the daycare came to us and said, look, we were planning to move out, but our lease just fell through. If you will let us stay through the end of the year, we will pay you double what we've been paying you. 
Then the contractor came back to us and said, I'm going to be able to save a lot of the pipes. It's not going to cost you $200,000. It's only going to cost you $100,000. And then in conjunction with your generosity, friends, <laughs> in a matter of a few months, we paid off this fire suppression system. It, it, was, a, it was a literal miracle happening right here in our midst. Do we remember that our God is a great God? Nothing he can't do. But he does want us to come to him first. Be still and know that I am God. That's where it starts. We recognize that our God is a great God. The second thing we, we need to remember about God is that he's a good God. He's also a good God. In fact, most of this prayer that's being prayed is reminding the people of Judah about God's goodness in the life of Israel. And there's four aspects of his goodness I see in this prayer. Here's the first one. We see his goodness in that he draws us to himself. He draws us to himself. Verse 7 says this. It says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. Uh, a lot of times when we approach the Bible and we hear stories like that, we have this idea in our head that God chose Abraham because Abraham must have been a pretty good person. That's not the case at all. In fact, we're told in Joshua that Abraham came from the line of, you know, he was a part of the, 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 the Chaldeans and that his very family were idolaters. And yet God chose and drew Abraham to himself. It wasn't based on Abraham's goodness. It was based on God's goodness. And friends, do you realize that that's true about your life as well? That if you have a relationship with God, that if you know this Jesus and there's any love in your heart for Jesus, do you realize that that's God who called you, who drew you into that relationship? See, oftentimes we think we're the ones who did it. We're the ones who pursued it. We're the ones who came to church. We're the ones who went to camp. We're the ones who ultimately made that decision. And you certainly had a part to play in that. But do you realize that before you ever chose God, God had chosen you? The Bible says he loved you before the foundation of the world. See, I think a lot of us, we have this anxiety about our faith, anxiety about our salvation. But if you were to recognize that it's actually God who was drawing and wooing you and calling you to himself, you know what that just might give you? Some peace. You realize you're not so much holding on to God. God's holding on to you. <laughs> he is the one who called you to himself. Friends, there's a lot of peace when we realize it was God who was pursuing us long before we were ever pursuing him. Second aspect of God's goodness is he leads us. Verse 12 says, By day you led our ancestors with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. God doesn't just draw us. He leads us. He wants to, to be in a relationship with us and, and, and lead us wisely through life. And, and he gives us his word to do that. He, he, he does that through prayer and speaking to our heart, and giving us promptings at times. But you know one of the ways I've realized God also leads our life? 
is through each other. He does it through people. Christian community. That's one of the reasons we want you all in a small group. Uh, We want you to be surrounding yourself with other brothers and sisters in the Lord who can encourage you and give you wisdom and sometimes even say things that might give you direction in life. Um, This past week, (laughs) I I was home all by myself. Uh, my wife, Danielle, and the kids went out of town with her parents. And so I was home all, all by myself, you know. And at first, it was, it was all exciting, you know. Was, free at last, free at last, right? It was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was all exciting. I got to tell you, by the end of the week, I was an absolute wreck. By the end of the week, I was the guy, 2 a.m., watching late-night TV, Cheetos, you know. Everybody like, honey, come home, I need you. But on Wednesday, I was with, uh, I was in a meeting with Pastor Josh, and he's one of my accountability partners. And Pastor Josh asked me a pointed question. He just said, how are your eyes doing? How are your eyes doing? You know, I was, I was, I was home all along. And, just, and what he was saying is, are you being careful with what you're, what you're looking at, you know? And friends, this is just me being vulnerable with you, me just being honest with you. It was a temptation this week. It was. I thought about it. It's like no one's here. I wanted to look at some stuff. I could. And I was fighting that battle. And then on Wednesday, Josh asked me that question. And it just, it just challenged me, but it also encouraged me. I don't know how else to explain it. The temptation was still there, but it lost its power and helped me to get through the rest of the week. And I was reminded, man, God uses people in our life to help lead us through this thing called life. And I was so thankful for my brother for having the courage to just ask me that question. God used it to lead me because I don't want to be the pastor secretly, you know, looking at porn. I don't want to be that guy. But that temptation is real for me. But God has used people in my life like Pastor Josh to help challenge me and to help encourage me. And he wants to do that in your life as well, in so many different ways. We see his goodness in that, how he works through others to lead us and guide us through life. One of the other aspects of God's goodness we see is he provides for us. Verse 21 says, for 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They ate to their full and were well-nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. Do you believe that God's going to provide for you? Do you actually believe that? I believe it. I believe he's going to provide for you. Wherever you're at today, I believe he provides for his children. And we have so much, friends, to be grateful for, don't we? The problem is we start looking at what other people have and comparing ourselves with others, and we lose our joy. I want to encourage you to think on how God has taken care of you over the years, to think on his provision in your life, and to give him thanks. I think there's, there's reason for all of us to thank God for his provision in our life. And the fourth aspect I, I see is he corrects us. 
He corrects us. This is the hard one. Seeing God's goodness in his correction. Verse 26 says, but they, our ancestors, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you. And they turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. Verse 27, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. It's like God just backed off and said, okay, this is, that's, the, that's the way you want to go. But listen to this. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. And from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. So time after time, the people of Israel turned their back on God, and then they would cry out to God, and God would show up, and he would rescue them over and over and over. But he would, for a time, take his hand off so that they could experience the consequence of turning their back on on God. And this week, as I was thinking about this, I just felt like there was somebody here today who's in a situation that's difficult, challenging, you're experiencing some suffering, maybe a lot, and it feels to you like God is taking his hand off you, or maybe that God has turned his back on you, or maybe it feels like God is angry with you and is being wrathful towards you. Here's what I want to remind you. That that if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, okay, God will never punish you. He'll never punish you. Because punishment is an end in of itself. Punishment is you're going to pay for what you've done, and that's the end of it. God will never punish you, but God will discipline Because that's what a loving father does. We read about this in Hebrews 12, and I hope this will be a comfort to you. Hebrews 12, 8 says, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Verse 10 says, human fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. I was thinking about a seed, uh, you know, this past week, if you think about a seed, in order for a seed to grow, what has to happen for that seed? It has to be planted in soil, has to go into the dirt. You have to add fertilizer (laughs) to that seed. It's in the darkness But that's the only way that seed grows. Do you realize that's true in your life as well? The only way we're going to grow is really through hardship and through suffering in our life. And some of you, you're, you're experiencing that and you're thinking, God doesn't love me. Why would he let this happen? And what I'm telling you this morning is whether it's because of your sin or whether it's not because of your sin, it's just God working in your life. It's because he's a loving father who loves you and wants more for you. And I hope in that you can have peace. That you'd be able to even see his goodness in his correction. But here's my question for all of us. 
Is God still a good God even when life isn't? Can you say God is a good God even when life isn't? One of my concerns, especially for newer believers, younger believers, or casual Christians, is that their faith is oftentimes built on their pleasant circumstances. But friends, I just got to remind us this morning, this is a fallen and a broken world because of sin. And if you try to build your faith on your pleasant circumstances, at some point that foundation is going to fail you. And I truly believe this is one of the keys to life. One of the keys to life is getting to know Jesus so well to where you treasure him, you savor him in your heart, and you know his goodness. To the point that even when life around you fails, you can still say, my God is a good God because I know him. And my faith is built upon who he is and not my pleasant circumstances. It's about five, six years ago, we had a friend who got, they got pregnant and um, the baby was having some health problems. And so they sent out a prayer request said, pray for us. We don't know what's going to happen to the baby. And we prayed and the baby was born healthy. And everybody said, God is good. But at the same time, we had a friend, her name was Callie Hendrickson, early 30s, dying of cancer. And I was at her bedside just a few days before she passed away. And I remember sitting at her bedside, she had her Bible open in her lap. She loved for people who, who, who were visiting just to read scripture to her. And she was telling me about what's going on, but I, I'll never forget, she ended by saying, but God is good. What my friend Callie was saying is, this, this world has, has ultimately failed me. And friends, I got to remind us, at some point, all of our health is going to fail us. Do you know Jesus like Callie did so that when that day comes, you know him so well, you stay able to say, but my God is still good even when life isn't. I'm telling you, it's one of the primary marks of spiritual maturity. When we can say God is good, even when life isn't. But there's one last thing we need to, to remember about our God, and we see it in this prayer, and that, that's God is gracious. So God is great, God is good. God is also a gracious God. In verse 28, we, we, we read this. It says, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and, and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Saying, if you will follow my commands, if you will live by my commands, they will give you wisdom for life, you, you will live when you live by my commands. He says, stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked. <laughs> Underline that, stiff-necked. This was a reference to oxen. 
And you would, you would hit the side of the oxen in, in the direction you wanted it to go. But a stiff-necked oxen, you would hit it. You could even beat it. It went the direction it wanted to go. And it's comparing Israel to being stiff-necked oxen. Like, I tried to get your attention. I, I tried to send prophets to warn you, but you stayed determined in the way you wanted to go and refused to listen. It says, for many years you were patient with them, Lord. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring people. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them. Why? For you are a gracious and a merciful God. Friends, I wonder if there's any of us uh, this morning who maybe have been stiff-necked. You say, God, I'm just going to go the direction I want to go. And maybe you've lived in that cycle where you've come to God at times and you've asked for help and you've prayed and God was good. But then life started going well again and so you found yourself turning your back and I think I'll just take it from here, God, and started living life the way you wanted to live it. Only to find yourself in distress. The good news is you can break that cycle you don't have to keep living in that cycle, but you do have to draw close to God. And the good news for us all this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've become, because Jesus came, because Jesus died, because Jesus gives us a righteousness that's not our own, we can come boldly into the throne room of God and ask him for help again. This past week, um, I came across this story about this young girl from Brazil, and I, I just want to end the message this morning reading to you about this young girl from Brazil named Christina who wanted to see the world. The story goes, discontent with a home, having only a pallet on the floor, that was her bed, a wash basin and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive girl, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all the money she had on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to the city. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search in bars and hotels and nightclubs, any place with a bad reputation. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel's stairs. Her young face was tired. 
Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet back home. Yet the little village was in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. And written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Friends, I can't help but wonder today if there's any of us who are in a place of distress and we need to go boldly before our God in the name of Christ Jesus this morning and make that request known. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've become. Our God welcomes us into his presence to ask for his help once more. And maybe that's you. This morning, I want to close and I want to give you an opportunity to come before God and just to ask him for help. If you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the God you are. We don't deserve who you are. It just is. We thank you that you're a great, great God beyond our imagination. And maybe there's somebody in here this morning that needs to just be still and know that you are God and they need to bring their request to you right now and cast that care upon you and find peace. And God, we thank you that you are a good God, that you love us and that you desire to have such a relationship with us that even when the world around us is falling apart, our faith isn't because you are ultimately our treasure we can know you that is good because you are good and Lord we thank you that you're a gracious God and that you welcome us all into your presence this morning not because we're good because you're good and because you have already made the sacrifice through Jesus Christ and if there's anyone out there right now who needs to come to God this is your moment to do it to cry out once more and say God help me I have a need and then you wait on your God. And you let him show you his greatness and his goodness and his grace once more. Friends, it's all ours in Christ Jesus. Take hold of it. Don't waste this opportunity. Let's come to him and let's respond with worship. In Jesus' name.